2: This
0: is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change.
2: Welcome back to part two of our lively chat with Paul. Well, we Sorry, we just hit the boss, come on. <laughs> That's that's right. That's, yeah, the boss. Andrew O'Neill popped in
1: just briefly. Yeah, who is, is he your boss, Paul? Yes, yes, he is. So we can't (laughs) badmouth them. Oh, no, no, definitely badmouth them.
2: (laughs) But we were having a very (laughs) lively discussion about veganism, which I always love to do. Yeah, uh, so moving on. But look, uh,
1: look, we're talking about
2: the key pressures in Moreton Bay. So we talked about, particularly, I think there was a campaign a few years ago about stopping the mud entering Moreton Bay. And obviously, that's a, a goes a long way towards actually protecting seagrass, which obviously has a whole bunch of benefits. And you were talking about okay, so that mud is essentially coming from our catchments, so rural environments, but also when we urbanise an environment, we actually also change the hydrology, the water movement through that catchment, and so increasing erosion and, and essentially providing more mud input into Moreton Bay.
1: Yeah, so that's the, that's. Um, uh it's been prioritised as the most important threat yeah. by yeah. our science committee, yeah. um, but it's not the only threat, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's certainly, you need to distil the message down into a bite-sized piece. But the issue we're finding is that you know people, as we said before, people don't really connect with with sediment. You've really got to talk through. Uh, why it's important to them. Yeah, but I think also something that I've, I've noticed personally
2: that healthy land and water have done really good is is actually using science to drive change. So I remember you guys did a, a great assessment a, a few years ago saying, and it basically identified that, yes, mud's a big issue. A key source of that mud is construction sites. So development, builders, et cetera, developing an area of land, and because of poor erosion and sediment control, uh, a lot of that dirt on that land is basically leaving that site and entering our waterways. And you actually there is actually legislation in place to actually require good or best practice erosion sediment control. But you guys did a study and said, you know what, out of the hundreds of sites that we actually looked at across South East Queensland, we only had about 3% of sites complying with the bare minimum legislation. And that was a key catalyst for change. And I remember Brisbane City Council took that information, again using the science from Healthy Land and Water, and went, you know what, okay, erosion sediment control is a big problem in our, in our uh, city. We're gonna put on two erosion sediment control officers and to essentially go around and actually encourage or mandate appropriate erosion sediment control on construction sites. And from, went from 3% compliance to something like over 80%, which would have had an enormous benefit to the health of Moreton Bay.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly right. So, I mean, all the information that we're collecting, we're trying to get into some behaviour change, whether yeah. it be a local government behaviour change or a community or a landholder or whatever it might be. So you can change the or improve the values that we're trying to monitor again. So, yeah, erosion instead of control is a big one, especially mm. in dry periods like we're finding now. Mm because that's the, the catchments aren't connected to their waterways anymore. They're not, not getting any kind of runoff. So erosion and sediment control on construction sites is one of the biggest uh, issues facing sedimentation in estuaries particularly, but also out into the Moreton Bay. So And,
2: and that's got- something that the community can actually get involved with. So I remember there was a bit of a, a public education campaign around, yeah, construction sites are a real big issue. You obviously you can get council officers going out there and inspecting sites, but Joe Public can actually do a really good job as well. So if I'm walking down the street and I see a, a, a building site with poor erosion sediment control. So I can see essentially there's an opportunity for dirt to leave that site and to go down the drain. That, that uh, I guess, motivates me to dob someone in, doesn't it, and actually drive change myself?
1: Yeah, that's a it's a it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. I mean, the eyes and the ears of the community, and that's the, the the values of the community as well. So you're walking around your own suburb, yeah. and exactly what you're saying. You you see that you see poor construction site management. Yeah. Um, you see you know bare bare earth and whatever what might be. Yeah. Tell somebody about it. Essentially, yeah.
0: yeah. Is there a number like for people listening in Queensland? Is there a, a
2: number like oh eight hundred? Sit off road, you know, <laughs> like. No, I think I think the key advice would be if you if you are walking down the street or driving in your in around or whatever, and you see a, a building site or a roads construction site or something similar with poor erosion sediment control. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. You, okay, I think your no, best opportunity no, 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 no. is actually call take, council, take it
0: down. Yeah. What do you call poor erosion and
2: sediment control? I mean, like, dumb it down. Okay, so if if rain falls on the ground and it's hitting bare earth, that'll actually essentially. Uh, cause direct rainfall impact erosion. And if that water can So you see muddy water coming yeah. off a site, dirty water, Dirty, dirty water. water. If I see dirty water leaving a site, or if I see a site with a whole bunch of exposed dirt and nothing really stopping that dirt from leaving it, if a, if a rainfall event happens, yeah, that's poor erosion sediment control. And that means that site isn't actually complying with legislation. So just like the unnamed
0: site that we went past on the way up to Noosa, where yep. we could see a lot of dust flying yep. up
2: into the air, that's yep. erosion sediment yes. control? Yeah, okay I guess in terms of the, the Joe public, uh, what do they do? They actually, I think their best is, or so the option is actually just call their local council and make a complaint.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's certainly what you would do.
0: Yep. One question we asked when the boss was in town was, I mean, are you guys a, a
1: private entity? Who, who funds you? How, how, does, how does the beast keep going? How <laughs> does the beast keep going? It's a good question. Uh, look, we get funding from anywhere we can effectively, <laughs> but <laughs> essentially we're getting it from federal government. Uh, So governments generally, federal government, state government, local councils, but also industry. So utilities particularly, one of their discharge requirements for sewage treatment plants is to do a monitoring program. So they pay into our monitoring program. So we work with a whole bunch of different uh, organisations around the region uh, for the the common values of the entire region.
2: Do you see a potential conflict of interest there in that the, your investing stakeholders like the water utilities, the councils, essentially they don't want a poor report card grade, do they? So they're paying you guys to produce this report card. Oh, do you think there's deep. a little bit of a conflict here <laughs> that they don't, they don't want you to come out and say, uh, oh, look, you know, that sewage treatment plant's a bit dodgy, a hey. Or, or ex-council, <laughs> thanks for the $200,000
1: check, but you know what? You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are an independent organisation, so let me be very clear about that. Um, <laughs> the lawyers, we also we're also lawyers are we're just the in. <laughs> <laughs> we, also, we also have an independent science committee. So everything we do, we have two components to the business. We have a steering committee, yeah. so they're, they're made up of the organisations that pay into the business. Yeah. Um, the other one is also the, steer, the science committee, and they're independent. We don't pay them at all. So they come in, they look at every piece of information that we release to the public, and they and they'll decide whether it's rigorous or not. So... You know, there's, there's, there's 10 or so uh, scientists on that particular committee. Underneath that science committee, we have a whole bunch of other scientific expert panels which, which scrutinise all the information that we, we collect and, and send out. So it's a very independent process. Well, that, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like one of the things. That painful could- to run. Don't get me wrong, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, 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 yeah. I get beaten up all the time. <laughs> Can but you imagine all the
2: scientists getting in a room together, talking about this sort of stuff.
1: Well, you have ten scientists on a committee, and you ask them their opinion. You, <laughs> get, <laughs> you get thirty or forty opinions. So you know, it's 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 a, no, it's a, really a vibrant discussion. And you know, if we put up an idea, and it's even got the flimsiest you know uh, method behind it they'll get into us. They have no problem in doing that and that's their job. So we're entirely happy for that to occur. So then we do, when we go to our steering committee and we go to our members and say this is what the report card grade is and this is what the, the data is saying about what you're doing, we know, that's, we know it's good. Mm. So if
2: I'm council of X location and I'm giving you guys half a million dollars a year and uh, I get the report card and it says an F and it's splashed all over the local newspaper saying I'm a – you know, not doing you're, my job. You're, you're an You're <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing a very good job. I, I pick up the phone to Paul Maxwell and say, Dr. Paul, what's the story? Can I change this report card? Or, 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 uh, or, ne- or next year, I'm not giving you any money. Does that ever happen?
1: Uh, not as not in those terms, <laughs> but it's all about engagement, right? So the sure. steering committee, we we spend a lot of time talking to the steering committee. Um, we brief the information constantly, so we get into the detail. We have data briefings with the officer levels. We have executive briefings with the higher levels. So they know what's going on and the reasons for that. So they, they get, um, you know, they, they, we get the messaging. So we, we coordinate messages with their communications teams. So it's a really, it's all about communication. So it's really, once the report card gets released, Every one of our members knows about it they mm. know what's coming out and what the uh, what implications for their organizations yeah uh, so we very rarely get that yeah. you know hang on it's a shock to me and we're not going to give you any more funding <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: well okay rightio. let's um let's uh, bear all who's the best and who's the worst <laughs> <laughs> well it's a report card I mean it's publicly available information isn't it
1: it, absolutely, yeah. Jump, jump on our website and have jump a look at website. the What's the website?
2: Reportcard.hlw.org so jump on we'll put this in the uh, yeah, show notes, notes. go yeah. to healthy
1: land and water main page yeah, and you'll exactly. find you but
2: obviously the report card grades do vary from river system and catchment to to yeah you know, across the southeast Queensland region obviously I, I'm, ge- I, I'm guessing Noosa yeah uh, so let's, let's go best. through it. yeah so you've yeah. got Noosa
1: Noosa's always an A and so, um, so why, is why, why that yeah
2: because they pay a certain amount of money
1: <laughs> 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 yeah we're, we're trying to get property up there property prices are fantastic no look I mean they, they've retained a lot of the vegetation so it comes yeah. down to very simple yeah. simple stuff right you know this is science that's been based on understanding from mm. the 1970s and 80s when I mean, mm. it's not rocket science as yeah. you like. So, you know, they retain they've retained a lot of vegetation in the catchment. Mm. They haven't got a lot of discharges going into their estuary. So, you know, it retains its resilience and it, and it doesn't fluctuate with the the climate like mm. we see in other other mm. catchments. Mm. So, if you compare that to going up into the upper catchment, and this is this is by no means trying to, you know, beat up councils yep. or organizations because they genuinely the western catchments and the western councils—they want to do something about their poor water quality and their and their poor catchment because it protects their livelihoods. Sure. So when we're talking about Upper Brisbane, which is this year got a D. Uh, Lockyer also. Up, g-
0: Upper Brisbane got a D.
1: Yeah. Wow. So it's really dry up there at the moment, and it's dry everywhere in southeast Queensland. But those catchments where we haven't got vegetation sitting alongside the creeks, like cows. yeah um where they haven't got vegetation sitting alongside the creeks then they don't retain any of the water that that
2: and that's a key thing like whilst we talk about clearing in the catchment a a key pressure is obviously a lack of vegetation in that sort of riparian area adjacent to creeks is that correct
1: yeah that's right so that's that's lack of that riparian vegetation Mm. causes the erosion so you remove the trees that and the soil can can erode into Mm. the creek you remove the trees, and the, and the water doesn't get retained in the in the environment either. Mm. So we're starting to see some of those areas where we've had pools and rivers for you know twenty odd years. It's the first time in twenty years of sampling those pools have dried up. Wow! So you know we we selected our sites to be permanent pools across the <laughs> landscape, and some of them this year were dry. So it's quite amazing.
0: So in New Zealand, under Jacinta, they've got a got a massive push into fencing off the the rivers and the creeks and and putting the vegetation back in and we've seen a massive increase in water quality uh, in New Zealand. I mean, water quality in New Zealand, I think we've been a bit behind you know, a bit clean and green over there but at the end of the day, we've got a load of cows and sheep, and they have basically ruined the land, well, in a certain way. I've got to be careful, because I've come from a farming background, Mm. but a lot of emphasis has gone, because we don't have necessarily all live by the coast, but in New Zealand we've got all these wonderful lakes that are, you know, just beautiful, pristine areas, especially where I live down in Wanaka, and a massive influence is is, is on that riparian zone and how we protect that, so now you can sort of imagine it, if you go down to a creek, there's there's no grass. There's nothing on the side of it. It's just basically beer, dirt. Then when water does run down there, it's just going to transport that mm. even further down into the catchment, yeah. which makes it a D.
1: Yeah, so it's not just about protecting water quality or the environmental mm. values. I mean, that, you, we do a lot of work with landholders in those catchments. You know, the horticulturalists, you know, there, there's uh, Mulgowie farms out in the Laidley Valley out in the Lockyer, which is a really highly eroded place. They supply almost 34% of the vegetables for Q- Queensland. So you know, huge farm, and you know, if they get eroded, they lose yeah. productivity. So you work with them to try and retain that uh, yeah. the, the channel banks, and, the, and yeah. they get much more productivity out of it. So it's not just about for water quality; it's about you know productivity of, of agriculture as well. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. vegetables, Brad, yeah, not absolutely. just absolutely. power.
2: absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and In terms of bang yeah. for buck, uh, what I remember we've done some uh, cost-effective analyses for various catchment <laughs> management works across various regions in southeast Queensland, and the most one of the most cost-effective solutions in terms of uh, costs spent per unit of pollution mitigated is that riparian protection that Jeremy refers to. It's essentially just a case of uh, fencing off a lot of those riparian areas, encouraging the growth of vegetation, minimising sort of stock ingress into those areas and that is a- extremely effective and quite cheap to actually do to mitigate that, I guess, sediment discharge downstream.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's not not about um, uh, excluding stock, it's about managing it. So uh, uh, we're talking to talking to people from uh, the councils out in the Western catchments and they're saying, well, if if you consider it like a riparian paddock, you're not effectively blocking off that area mm. for cattle because mm. we know cattle have got to you know got to drink something so can you get off stream watering <laughs> yeah. sites or can you let your cattle in there in certain times of the years to keep the the weeds down and and keep vegetation you know so it's it's about managing that particular it's land right it's a new way experiment. of doing yeah, it yeah that's really. right yeah just it's, a different it's practice. another paddock
0: it's just a bit different and that's right that's a really good way to put it mm. okay back to the report card Right. Oh, oh, right. what are we up to yeah, yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're t- um, we'll just so someone so you compare
1: that so we just got Upper Brisbane and, and Lockyer. so that they get a D this year but then you look at places like the Stanley River which is out that way but it still retains the same sort of vegetation hmm. similar to Noosa yep. so it's got a pretty vegetated. it doesn't fluctuate Uh, in terms of grades with the rainfall as much as those really highly impacted areas. So once again, that just highlights that you retain the vegetation and landscape and you're retaining the resilience to those climate impacts over time.
2: How many environmental issues could we just solve by just having more trees?
1: Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a, really, it's a fairly effective one and you know, convincing people that they're good and not just for the environmental purposes but for, for everything else. You know, it's a simple message really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I think in terms of carbon sequestration from the atmosphere, erosion control, water quality, air quality, habitat, biodiversity, I can't think of any other solution as simple and as effective as just retaining trees in the first place, stopping clearing and if need be, planting more. Pretty simple.
1: Y- especially, yeah, you know, abs- especially when you consider that there's, there's, you know, there's money in tree farming these days. Yeah. You know, with with carbon farming initiatives and all those sorts of things going on. And so, like if we talked, and oh, well, we're going to roll through the other. No, report I cards. Just, just, <laughs> I just, to get tell, too much detail. No, no, I
0: just well. want to see this because I used to get this report card when I was at primary school, and it looks very similar to that report card. So obviously, if you're really good, you have got a blue, dark blue, and and then you got a light blue, and then you got a yellow, then you got an orange and then you've got a red. So I don't see too many reds on there, which is a good sign, but my report card usually had a lot of orange, a lot of red, not too many blues. So, you know, just pick, pick out a couple. I mean, who's the um, who's most improved this year?
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Most improved. Uh good question. I actually don't know which one the most improved would be, but uh, let's go to the bay. Yeah, okay. Um that's the big story. I mean, I I I don't want to harp on that too much, yeah. but it's it's you know it's a really good story that it's we we went from I think it was a D or an F in Bramble Bay, so that's the worst part of Moreton Bay, and that was back in two thousand and one, uh, two thousand and two, and now we get they're getting an A minus. So, you know, that's that's a big jump over that twenty year period.
0: Now because we've got different seasons because it hasn't rained up here for however a long time. Yeah. Could that report card drastically change next year based on weather patterns?
1: It is influenced by weather patterns, but it's important to remember that in, when you've got that vegetation in it's the built landscape. To resilience. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't change as much. So we don't see the fluctuations in places like Noosa, for example because it has the vegetation or Stanley River out in the western catchments. We don't see the fluctuations with the climate patterns. So the rainfall goes up and down in those catchments like everywhere else, mm-hmm. but the grades don't go up and down like, like everywhere else.
2: Is there any and on the topic of climate like obviously climate change is a red hot topic people are gluing themselves to footpaths etc around the country are we expecting the ecosystem health of our waterways and bays to change significantly with climate change?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of the catchments themselves, we're going to we're obviously going to be facing a lot more big extreme events and a lot more droughts in the in the interim time. So that's going to cause a lot of stress and pressure on all of the values that we're interested in so not just the environmental ones but fish communities obviously going to struggle big time with floods and droughts um, but also in economic values as well and social values. Is climate
2: change obviously it seems to be it's going to exacerbate ecosystem health problems so obviously we can do all all we can to sort of mitigate the, the the catchment related pressures on waterway health but is it going to be trumped by climate change?
1: Problem. Yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a it's a concern. It's also an opportunity, I think, to change the way we think about catchment management. So what we do now is really we look at the impacts and we try and mitigate mm. them as much as possible, rather than looking at adaptability, mm. um, redundancy of values. So that's a big part of uh, resilience to things like climate change. So mm. understanding that, you know, if your values are spaced out. Um, then they're not going to be as impacted by uh, a small-scale impact, say, you know, than than if they're all in one place, if you like. So trying to figure out what that impact might look like under a climate change scenario and adapting to it. Mm. Just accepting the fact that there is going to be threats to those catchment values and to the values in Moreton Bay, for example, and then trying to adapt that to that, not trying to mitigate necessarily. So... Interesting. So we saw obviously
2: uh, a few years ago you mentioned the fact that we identified sewage treatment plants were a massive issue and a, a, something like a billion dollars was made available to upgrade those treatment plants. If you had a billion dollars to spend on the catchments in southeast Queensland, what would you do?
1: So I'd certainly look at um, the, that sediment erosion issue. So we've got great information now working with all the partners across the region for channel erosion, knowing where the channel erosion issues are, the hotspots for that. Uh, Channel erosion for your listeners are, you know, basically just stripping out the the edges of the creeks and the rivers. And and in some cases, places like the Logan River down south of Brisbane here, you've got 20-metre high cliffs which are just eroding after every, you know, decent rainfall event. So protecting those areas from future erosion is a big one
2: so how would people how would how would we do that
1: so that's um, that's really a larger scale issue so if you're getting to the point of trying to figure out what an individual can do as i I'd probably do a few different things but certainly on that that, that bigger scale mm. targeting the organizations and working with landholders who are it's on their property so mm. you know the landholders not necessarily to blame for these big issues sure. and they certainly don't have the money to help yeah. fix them so there are policy settings now things like nutrient offsets stormwater offsets which you know love them or hate them can provide some money to help out landholders protecting their properties against these big erosion events so you know we're getting to the point now where there's funding available to uh, to start mitigating these these erosion but events.
2: Why, why are we actually looking down the path of offsets what why actually like we found a billion dollars to upgrade cerus treatment plants
1: yeah we don't need it if we've got a billion dollars yeah. absolutely yeah. we would target those hotspot spot areas
2: so you you'd, you'd focus a lot of your attention on protecting riparian areas and mitigating that erosion in those channels
1: so channels are the first step so yep. the other one then when you start looking at gullies so yep. there are areas in, in in parts of the catchment where gully erosion is a big thing you know you start looking at your your soil types and all of that sort of stuff so we've got that prioritization done but oh. i'd certainly start with that with then understanding looking into your urban areas so spending money where your stormwater issues are because that's mm. the in dry times like now yep. the majority of the pollutant loads hitting our estuaries are coming from urban areas. They're not coming from the catchment. So we've got to do it in two phases. First is to have a look at that channel erosion component when we do get the inevitable flood but now start looking at the urban areas as well. So split obviously that, that $1 billion up, if you like.
2: Yeah, because obviously in those urban areas, even in dry periods, we still have occasional uh, small rainfall events and you only need a little bit of rainfall to generate a lot of runoff in our urban environments. And Just so to, to, to explain, well, I'll explain. Because
0: you've got a lot of hard stand hmm. when it rains and you, you don't need a lot of rain to mobilise pollutants. When you've got grass and vegetation, that sort of the water sinks in and therefore doesn't mobilise pollutants. I'm just mm. trying to, yeah. you know. No, that's
1: us. exactly right, Jim. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the best, yeah. way, to, yeah,
0: best so way to
2: explain it. Yeah, so in a forested catchment, for example, you might need 25 to 50 millimetres of rainfall in a 24-hour in a period to start generating any runoff. But in, a, in an urban catchment, in the, only need about one or two millimeters. A higher frequency of smaller rainfall events generating runoff basically means more pollution in our waterways.
1: Yeah, that's right. So yeah, it it'd sink in in a normal situation up in a catchment, but so yeah, what, it runs off.
2: Yeah. What could we do in those urban environments to actually mitigate that pressure?
1: Well, so in, in terms of individual, what we always say is, is you want to stop things running off your property. So the biggest issue with those sorts of diffuse car washing. Loads, well, car washing is one of them, but I roofs, think roads, yeah, yeah. R- roofs and roads. I mean, it's it's really quite simple from a rainwater tank perspective. You know, just well, just okay, capturing
0: just, rainwater. Well, just on that, I'm going to call out the state government because we're in drought up here in Queensland, and they they abolished the requirement for for rainwater tanks. Now, this, that is an outcry. If all those farmers out there running out of water and we don't have
2: bloody rainwater tanks on our houses or on any new developments... About eight years ago, it used to be under the Queensland Development Code, MP4.2, was a, a mandatory requirement. If you're developing a, a lot or a, or a series of lots, you have to have rainwater tanks plugged in to uh, collect runoff from your roof environment, but also they need to be plugged into your laundry and to use the water to irrigate your landscaping, etc. There was a very successful lobbying attempt to essentially get rid of the requirements for rainwater tanks so the state government just got rid of them so we just don't need to put in rainwater tanks anymore I know, but, but how stupid it's crazy. is that? it's stupid what do you we, think we about know it?
1: it? oh it makes no sense I mean at the end of the day you, you, just for a, a very selfish purpose you know, you're putting you're putting treated drinking water on your garden why would you put, Why would you do that when you can when you can trap that storm water you can put it in a rainwater tank and use it in your garden and a very selfish sense not even if you're thinking at a bigger scale.
0: and I'll tell you something this, this is how crazy it was so when the, the, then you didn't need rainwater tanks Us uh, and the engineers who design stormwater systems, okay, so we were like, hey, look, guys, um, your development, why don't you put some rainwater tanks on, and then your stormwater system's going to be smaller, Mm. so therefore it's going to be cheaper. Try and tell that to a developer. What what, what do you mean? I'm like, mate, you'll save money and do something really good for the environment if you put rainwater tanks on there and, and, you know, a smaller stormwater system. No, don't want rainwater tanks. That's
1: so, so that's where the demand comes into it, doesn't it? So you get then the individuals who are buying properties to say, well, we actually want that from our new development. Exactly. So it becomes then a market-driven force rather than a top-down you know, from, a, from a government. Have you got a rainwater people.
0: tank on your house? I have two. Oh, nice. They're not, not
1: big enough half slim, the time. <laughs> Sorry? Slimline or? Uh, I don't know what you're <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, you call it. It's the thin ones. No, no, they're not the thin ones. No, actually, okay. i got some, some just general round ones. Have you got a
2: rainwater tank on your house? No, but roof runoff from my uh, building goes directly onto my garden. There you go. But look, I I think in in terms of rainwater tanks, rainwater tanks have a multitude of benefits in terms of water supply, uh, reducing pollutant loads going through our, our waterways, and obviously just reducing the frequency and volume of water going into our waterways that can actually exacerbate those erosion issues. So, There's a whole bunch of benefits associated with rainwater tanks. But I think that's an example where potentially the science behind rainwater tanks wasn't actually readily available to actually counter-punch this lobbying effort against them. So and that's the important thing about data and science. Yeah, exactly. Without data, you're just another person with an opinion.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, there's there's good examples for the south, isn't it, where the utilities are starting to look at um, using and controlling rainwater tank uh, heights and depths and whatever it might be, or, you know, volumes, uh, to reduce the amount of um, discharge of nutrients that is going in. So they're offsetting it's that. So pretty, that's
0: a, it's, it's pretty amazing technology now. Yeah, they totally. can, they, they, it's all happening real time. They can slow it down, speed it up. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of an outcry. So as a summary of, of what you guys do here, what and what we try to achieve on the show is what... You know what can people at home do to, to you know to do their little bit? I mean, you've got a, a fabulous organisation doing great stuff. You know, to people at home, you know, when when they're out, well, you know, give us some one hundred ones to try and help this organisation to to move forward and be bigger and better.
1: Yeah. So uh, the first one would be to, to look at your own backyard. So get selfish and say, well, we want to keep whatever we've got in our backyard in our backyard. So, stormwater control is a great one. Stop things from running off, number one. So, keep your your yard, you know, green, essentially. Keep grass on on the lawn, on the sediment, so that's not running off. Keep it litter-free. When you're walking around the neighbourhood, same sort of thing. Have a look out, as we talked about before, have a look out for erosion or poor erosion and sediment control off construction sites. The other one would be also, you know, try and maintain as much as possible pollutant loads that are coming off your your property as well. So So, back to don't wash your cars
0: on the road, always try and do it on a bit of grass, or so that the water can at least run off into the into the grass, yeah. There, or go to a car wash,
1: yeah. That's that. Or exactly, yeah. So that's that's one. And the other one I'd say that's a little bit left of centre would be to get out and enjoy waterways, because what we yeah. find is that in in these, you know, we talked about the A's and the B's and the D's, right? We know that people who live in the poorer poorer quality catchments are far more disengaged. Mm. With, with their, with yeah. their catchment. Well, and exactly. It's kind of an obvious thing. Yeah, if is, I've got a yeah. shit water body, I'm not going to go for a swim. No, that's right. But we know that people want to. So yeah. about 90% of Southeast Queensland residents really value in some way their local waterways. Now, their satisfaction with the quality of their waterways differs across the whole region. So people want to do it, but they can't in a lot of places. We know that they're disengaged in really poor quality catchment. So getting engaged, getting out and talking to your local councillor and saying, we want access to our creek, we want a bike track, we want infrastructure, we want <coughs> something. There we can take our kids to is a really valuable thing because it starts to drive these some of these things,
0: and I think that's really important. Going back to Brad's comment about sediment and erosion control, you know, when people go, "Oh, look, oh, you know, I see something bad that's happening, but I can't be bothered ringing up." No, you've got to. The, the, the power is with the people. If everyone takes that attitude, no one rings up and complains. I mean, don't feel like you're a, you're a wanker complaining. No, you you're giving council and, and authorities data. So what what I mean by that, if there's 4,000 people who are rung up about the quality of this particular water body, it gives them the power to go, well, we need to go spend some money on that. There's 4,000 people mm. that care about it. So get on the blowers, get on the internet, get on community groups, talk about it. As, as Dr. Paul just said, get out, go out to your water bodies, go out and look and see what's happening and feel feel what's going on, and if appropriate, you know, write into your local government or call your local government association.
1: And that's a, that's a big point too. You mentioned that. I mean, community groups, there's a lot of active community groups in urban areas these mm. days um, across the country. So, you know, if people are really concerned about their waterway and they want to get they want to get involved somehow, you know, get in touch with your local community group. Um, there's a lot of, you know, it's a good good for community yeah. as well as the environment, you know, planting trees and, and rehabilitating your local creek, getting it away from that concrete drain that, mm. you know, we did in the, in the 70s and the 80s.
2: And so what does the future of our waterways look like? Like, in, you know, put yourself 2030, 20, 2050, 20, 2100, what, what's it like?
1: I, I desperately hope I'm still driving boats at twenty twenty one hundred, 2100, <laughs> but nonetheless. Um, I'm pretty positive about it, to tell you the yeah. truth. I mean, so long as we maintain the, well, the motivation for it. Mm. So what we're trying to fight is this disconnect you know if you talk to most people in Brisbane they would say I would never eat a fish coming out of the Brisbane River because my my assumption my perception is that it's toxic now if we can change that perception then we've got a motivation to protect so in 150, you know, odd years or whatever it might be. If we can change that perception, I see only good things for our environment. So you we know, show on that in the short term over 20 years, we can have an improvement. So long as we agree on the values that we want to maintain, mm. and we can agree on the threats to that, and we can spend the money to improve it. Yeah. So you know there is hope out there. It's not it's not all doom and gloom. You know mm. from that's a, a
2: big thing for my mind about mu- uh, like resources and money. Like we seem to have, find no problem finding you know billions of dollars to put in roads, highways, you know, new stadiums where one's already there. But when it comes to actually appropriately protecting our waterways, with the exception of the sewage uh, treatment plant uh, funding that was provided, which was a, a great success story, I don't see a huge amount of investment associated with actually appropriately protecting. Our most precious of resources being our waterways and ocean.
1: No, that's right, and, and it comes down to you know uh, other things that people can do is is lobby your local government, yeah. talk to your local politician, and saying this is a thing that we want yeah. to be prioritised. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. If you don't speak up, people aren't going to know. That's exactly it. So people have got to you
0: know really have a voice and you know get out there, get it within your community, and have an opinion. As as Paul just said, you've got to agree on a uh, on a set of values. Once you agree on it, you gotta you gotta execute it. So get out to the community and as a community go, you know, what what is important to us? Go down to the local hall, have a chat, speak to your local counsellor. You know, and just get a bit of enthusiasm. Get a bit of bradism about it. <laughs> Go <No>. vegan! <laughs> well, what do you know? So when we talk about vegan, we're just going to wrap this one up. Um, Dr. Paul, mate, I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, um, well, as, you. as your boss said, that you, you, you've actually got nothing to do for six months. So um, <laughs> no, but I know you guys are all really busy. And, and thanks for a great chat. I mean, uh, all of our chats are great, but I genuinely really enjoyed this one. I've known you guys and, 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 and people within your organisation for a long time. It's great work that you guys are doing, and it does give local governments, you know, like you see Noosa, we got a minus A. Like You saw the councillors today. They're proud of it. And it's good data reporting back, and um, you do a hell of a job, and uh, thanks for coming on our
1: show. Not at all, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.